There are many ways to tell a story. We see it in the movies all the time. Uh, One of the ways is where you have some incident that happens in the very beginning. Some situation develops or two people encounter each other. There can be very many details that are different, but it all happens in that first couple minutes. And if you're late to the movie, or if somebody distracts you at home and you're watching it on TV, you spend the rest of the movie saying, now, how does this go together? But if you see that first couple minutes, then it all makes sense, and you don't want to miss it. In many ways, God's story is exactly that kind of story. Today we begin with what I call God's dream home. It's life as he wanted it, as he built it, as he intended it. And there's some things that happen in just the first little bit of God's story that explain, in a sense, everything after. And if you miss these first few events, you can spend the rest of the story scratching your head, saying, well, wait a minute, well, how does this, and what, why? So we want to talk about that today. In a sense, there are two key events that happen in this first chapter of the story, the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And I want to talk about those two key events because they lay out the rest of the plot. They lay out the rest of the story to the very end of the Bible. The first thing that we read about is creation. We just heard that and saw it on the screen. The very first words of the Bible are, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And everything else that comes and that we experience finds its source, its origin in that being, God, and that act of creation. And it's that, that how we come to understand our universe, our world, Everything in it, including ourselves. Because in that act of creating, in that first chapter of Genesis, we also find where we come from. And on the sixth day, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures. That move. We are created. We are a part of that. And so in this first event, we not only learn about everything around us, we find ourselves. Men and women, our place in the universe, we see a special status for us. Very different from a cow or a dog or a sheep or a fish in the sea. The greatest walleye. We're special. Because we resemble our creator. We carry his image and we have a special status to be above, to rule over this creation. It is the language of parents and children. This bear his image. Just as we talk about someone who has blue eyes like their mom, or blonde hair like their dad, or tall like their parent. 
God says, you will carry my image. You will resemble me. And that is a very special status for us. We learn about in this creation, this first event of the story. But there's a second event that happens very quickly that is also a key event that we have to understand. Because in this second event, we also learn some things that we will need to know for the rest of the story. And that other key event is conflict. For in this world that God created, there is good and evil. Not because God chose to create it, but because he created us like him. And because we are like him, we can make choices. We are free and independent beings. And we can choose to listen to him. We can choose to do good and we can choose to not. It doesn't show that we were created bad. It just shows that we have the potential for good or bad. As do angels. And so we see in this story that there is conflict because these first humans chose poorly. They chose to walk their own path. They chose to do as they wished. And we see this God who cares, but who is also good and just and righteous, saying it matters the choices these humans make. And there are consequences for our choices. And this conflict begins to unwrap and unfold, and God's dream home is no longer a dream home. The roof leaks. The walls are cracked. The foundation is not solid because of this conflict and these choices. The other way to talk about this story as we begin to walk through it is not only to see those two key events and how everything unfolds out of those, but to look at the characters in the story. And there are really three. And everything will follow these three characters from the beginning of Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. There is God. Already existing, God who has always existed, without beginning, without end. We sang that in some of the songs today. Something we would expect of God if he's God. We had fun in Sunday school this morning talking about what we learned about God in this first chapter of the story. We learn about this character in the story as it unfolds of how powerful he is. He just speaks and worlds are created. He doesn't do anything. His voice, his word is that powerful. But he's also a genius and creative And such a sense of beauty, just as you look at all that he did. But we also see that this God is relational. He is not distant. He is not impersonal. 
He is in himself a relationship. And as you read the story, the first beginning, you start seeing this we. But there's God, one God, we. Now we understand he exists as three, Father, Son, and Spirit. But in the beginning, we scratch our head a little bit. Who is this God? But what I want you to notice, this God who is one and yet we, who exists as a relationship, is a personal relational God. And so he creates others like him for relationship. And that teaches us so much about this God And we need to understand that for what he is going to do. And what he will do will not make sense if we don't understand this inner quality of God that he is about relationship. He is a personal being. He is not some impersonal designer power. He is not the force. He is Jehovah God who is Heavenly Father. That's who we learn about as the story begins. And He is loving and generous in all that He gives us, all that He places us over, all that He gives us to enjoy and draw benefit from. This is God. And we also learn he is good. There's nothing bad in him. He is this good God who creates good things and creates a perfect world that he gives to us. And yet he is a God of fairness and justice, which is part of being good. So if there is wrong, there is consequences. There are consequences. If poor choices are made, we face the reality of those poor choices. It is no different. And I'm always amazed at people who think, well, how can God do that? It's the same concept God uses for the universe. There are consequences, and we describe them in the universe as the laws of physics. If A, then B. If this happens, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And physicists tell us it has to be that way or the universe doesn't work. Gravity stops for a second and it's over. We need it to work. And why would we then expect that in relationships God is any different? And so we see when Adam and Eve make choices that go against what this God says... This God says, I'm not going to just ignore this. I'm not just going to say, well, it doesn't matter. Better luck next time. This God says the universe lives with actions and choices and consequences. It's true in physics and it's true in relationships. And we see this God in the very beginning. But there is a second character in this story, and that is us. Humanity. Male and female, he created them. And we learn a lot about us. I've already talked about the reality that we are made to resemble this God. 
we have his qualities, at least some of them. We're not all powerful, but we make choices, we think, we are creative, we have a sense of beauty. We have amazing power. And we see all of this in the beginning. We too are relational. People matter. We try and pretend they don't and we try and run away at times due to whatever has happened in our own history. But at our core, no one can deny that we are relational beings. We desperately need people around us who care. And those people matter to us. That is only because we resemble the God who created us. But we too can choose as he chose to create, as he chose how he would create, on what days and in what order, we too resemble him and that we can choose. And we see it every day in our own lives and in the lives of people around us. We see us making choices that are good and constructive and creative and helpful and beautiful and wonderful and loving. I always say the best thing about people is people and the worst thing about people is people. It's the same with the church. I love the church for the people. I struggle with the church because of the people. But that's our reality, isn't it? Sometimes you just shake your head at how wonderful people can be. The sacrifice, the beauty they create, their abilities, the things they figure out. We just stand in awe of people. And then we go home and we watch the news. Or we see the person next to us or we watch our own choices and the consequences. And we wonder, how in the world can people be that bad? The harm they do to each other. The hatefulness. The self-destructive choices they make, we make. And we see the reality of how we, this character in the story, has the potential for such good and such evil. We can even lie to ourselves and think we're God. And say that God doesn't exist, though we have no power to create one molecule, let alone a universe. But we still say, oh, there is no God. And we think we are in control, there's so, though, although there is so little we can actually control. But we lie to ourselves about that. And that is exploited by the third character in the story. And that third character is evil. Satan. The serpent. Lucifer. As we will learn later in the story to fill in this character, we find out that he was once an archangel. And because he, too, had a choice, and he, too, was told how beautiful and awesome and wonderful he was repeatedly, 
he came to believe that and made the choice to say, I, Lucifer, would make a better God than God. And we learn that there was a rebellion in heaven. There was war in heaven, we're told in Revelation. And so we have evil. Not created by this God who says, I need evil. But created by those he created who are free to choose. And made poor choices just like we talked about humans are capable of doing. And so now there is also evil in this story. And he is seeking to destroy everything to do with God, everything that is good, because he has walked on that other side. As Star Wars calls it, the dark side. But this evil is very real, and it is not a fiction story. And we see his damage at the very beginning of the story. As he entices... Adam and Eve to make choices that are self-destructive. And so we begin the story with the plot that is laid out for us. I would like to suggest for you today five elements of this plot because I want you to watch for them. You see, part of the purpose in doing this study this way is for us to step back and look at the Bible at we call it the 5,000-foot level. Most often in sermons, in Bible study, in small groups, in classes, we look at portions of Scripture, sometimes a chapter, sometimes a paragraph, sometimes one verse. And that's appropriate and good study. But not often enough have we stepped back, because it's such a big story. Have we stepped back to say, How does Genesis and Revelation fit together? And everything in between. And to do that in a manageable time. And that's what the story gives us a chance to do. And so what I'm trying to do on this first Sunday is to lay out how it started, those two key events, and the three characters that are going to be seen throughout the story And we're going to learn more and more about these characters as you do in any story, as it develops. But I also want to give you five elements of this plot, because the whole story will be woven around these five elements. And I want you to watch for them, because they are themes that will keep coming back again and again, and they are what links this whole book into one story. This story about God and us and evil. One of the themes is God and his perfection. This incredible creation. All of this good that he is and he passes on to his creation. What we can be, what this world can be. That good which is there. And that is constantly coming from him. But there is also what we see in the very beginning by chapter 3, this rebellion. There is this choice that we make. Satan has made it. Adam and Eve made it. The truth be told, every one of us 
makes choices like this. Where we choose that which is not true and good, that which is not right, that which is not God's way. Trying to be God ourselves, to deny God this rebellion. And if you notice, if you've read the story for this week, chapter 1, in only 11 chapters of Genesis, we see this theme of rebellion four times in 11 chapters. We see it in Adam and Eve as they choose to disobey God and eat the fruit. And we all think of it as an apple. It just says the fruit. We see it in Cain and Abel and pride and jealousy that drives a brother to kill a brother. We see it in the entire world that becomes so corrupt doing their own thing that God sends a flood with Noah and almost says start over. And we see it in the Tower of Babel where humanity working together says we can be God. This theme will come again and again. And the interesting thing, because we are a part of this humanity, it is a theme we can see in our own lives. As we write our stories, this theme of rebellion, independence, doing it my way. And because of this goodness of God and yet this rebellion, we come to the third theme, and that is separation. The reality that there are consequences to our choices. Just as we see in the laws of physics, just as we see in any relationship. The reality is my wife and I are married for as long as we are because of what we do. And if I choose to start treating her poorly, wrongly, there's somewhere a limit. Now, 40 years hopefully will have earned me a few weeks of grace. But at some point, there's a limit in any relationship. And God says, I won't ignore your choices either. And there's separation. Denying God. And so we now live in this broken world that is no longer a dream home as God intended it to be. Where there is pain and suffering. Where there are weeds. And destructive forces and other people making choices that harm us. Because there is separation. And the world is broken. But it is not done because that brings us to the fourth theme. And that is redemption. God does not do over. He creates an ark and he saves Noah and his family. He works to come and seek his children even though they have chosen to walk away from him. And we see in the prophecy that he speaks to the serpent that there will be one man who will crush evil. And we as Christians know what's coming. Jesus on the cross, destroying the power of evil. Because this good God, who is a loving God and a relational God, does not abandon us. 
He seeks to redeem us. And that brings us to the final element of this plot, and that's restoration. Where things are fixed. God is going to have his dream home. Paul says all of creation is is groaning as it waits for things to be fixed. Like they are supposed to be. And we watch that come. And we see pieces of that happen. And throughout this story, we will see this theme of restoration as we watch these other themes. But as we've said from the beginning, what about your story? My story? Our story? Because we are part of God's story. You're in the script. You are a character in the greatest story ever told. Please understand that. You are important. You are a human created in God's image. Created to rule over this world. Given a dominion, a status, and a relationship. Because you resemble your heavenly Father and He seeks you. For restoration. Even when we deny him, even when we walk away. And so the question becomes, as we read this story, where do we see ourselves? How are our choices being made, good or bad? How are we writing our story? We're going to see a lot of humans in this story. And part of the purpose of that is so that we can learn about our story, as we will see Abraham's story and David's story and Mary's story and Rahab's story and all kinds of stories of other humans, characters in this story. That's not just history. It's to help us figure out our stories. And what can we learn from them and their choices and their decisions to help us write a better story? You see, this story isn't just a theoretical or a theological study about this God. His story is all about our stories. And because we are a part of his story, a character in his movie, his story and our stories are inextricably woven together. And so as we watch this plot unfold, it is also our story that is unfolding. We will see how others have responded to God. The question for each of us is how will we choose to respond to this seeking, loving, relational, powerful, creative God? as he seeks each one of us. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing as God. And yet you need to be. I I just look at one picture from the Hubble telescope 
And I realize that all of that to be created would take an amazing God. And you are. And yet you care. You are a God who loves. A God who creates us in your image. And you seek us even when we make foolish choices that are so wrong. You pursue us. You won't give up. Redemption is part of your story. We are so thankful. God, I pray you can use this story, these weeks, to not just be another study, but that it would help us understand you and your story but also understand our stories. That we could find new meaning for our stories in your story. I ask this in your son's name. Amen.